Roar Nation, Promise Keepers is back July 31st, 2020. Estimated 80,000 men will be gathering at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Speakers are going to rock the house. It's going to be a full lineup. And on top of that, worship is going to be amazing. Why am I telling you so far in advance? Because tickets are on sale and they're slowly selling out. So that being said, I hope I see you there. I am planning on going. Go to promisekeepers.org to get info and tickets. Again, go to promisekeepers.org. See you there. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here in Fired Up for another show. You guys cannot wait. I'm telling you, you can't wait because I can't wait. And the reason I can't wait is because there is a constant battle in my house talking about I am just go, go, go 100% of the time. And for years, uh, my motto was, who needs sleep? Uh, You'll get it when you're dead. And then the problem with that was, is as I've gotten older and I started getting sleep deprived, I found myself running out of energy, taking more caffeine and uh, not taking good care of myself, even though we are health junkies, which is kind of contradictory. But that being said, Casey is the opposite. She goes to bed early and uh, takes naps or used to and is great at that. So all that being said, I'm excited today because we have Dr. Sandra on the show talking about health. Doctor, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. All right. So why don't you give us a little bit about uh, who you are, kind of what you do, just an overall big, big world view. Sure. I'm a board certified internal medicine physician and a researcher. And so I've been writing books for about the past eight years now. And usually I tend to pick topics that are related to things that I've experienced. Um, and my latest book is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And that one came out of my own burnout journey, Um, getting to a point where I really felt like my medical career didn't give me all the information I needed to actually help myself stay energized and started looking at kind of what the Bible says about it. It was one of the areas where my faith and the science kind of collided to try to help me get to a point of understanding really what was going on. I love that you said that, man, we're going to go off on a rabbit trail already and it always happens, but you talked about faith and science colliding. You know, it's funny. It was, I look back in like medieval times and you look back in history and a lot of times people try to say that uh, faith and science contradict each other. And I actually think it's quite the opposite. I think the more we, more science research comes out, the more we find that it lines up with faith. I agree. That's, that's, really the main thing that I found with this particular book and with researching it, there is so much research being done about the sleep, kind of what we call the sleep epidemic we have now or the sleep sleep, um, revolution that's going on and very little talk about rest. And, you know, if you look in the Bible, it doesn't really talk a whole lot about sleep. 
but there's a whole lot being said about rest. And I think we really have gotten our focus off of where it needs to be. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so before we dive into rest, why don't you kind of tell us about your history as far as, because a lot of our show, uh, we, we talk a lot about purpose and kind of stepping into what we feel called to do. Why don't you give us a little bit of a journey of maybe, you know, high school-ish or something or going to college, kind of where you felt like, hey, this is what I want to pursue and how you got into it. I can't recall wanting to do anything other than be a physician. Wow. <laughs> I never remember any other career journey. So I remember as a child going to the pediatrician and you have to understand my backstory is that my mother died right after childbirth. So oh, wow. I've always had this very strange um, feeling about just the whole life and death and medicine and, and all of those things. She was in the hospital obviously when it happened. So it has always been something that I've been confronted with just as an, as a, at a very early age. So I remember my first one of my first visits at the pediatrician that I can recall watching this woman and the whole time I'm watching her kind of just do what she does, just her regular job. I, I sat there and I remember looking over um, to my dad and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, and as a parent is like, okay, you know, that's nice. <laughs> and I, I, Honestly, it felt like I knew from that moment forward, I never, and he, will, he even tells people all the time, she's never said any other career she's ever wanted. Whenever someone asked, that's what she said she'd be as a doctor. So um, I can't recall anything else. Okay. Um, that's really funny. I'm, I'm listening to a book right now uh, by a Navy SEAL uh, that he rewrote the curriculum and the programming for the SEAL program for sniper school. And I thought it was interesting that one of the things he talked about is obviously visualization. And that's the first thing. And he, he talks about like world-class athletes, including Olympic medalists and stuff like that, do so much visualization. And it, made, it took me straight back to that when he was talking about that, because I think sometimes when we have something stuck in our head and we're willing to go for it, um, it, it literally just, it, it, it ends up happening. Yeah, I th honestly, I think it really helped me embrace my, my oddities because I have one of those minds that just loves to tear things down to the, to the pieces. <laughs> my major is biochemistry. I like to take kind of the big stuff and break it apart. And I've been loving that ever since I was a child. I love tearing the toys apart. I love dissecting the frog till it, there was nothing left of it. You know, that was just my personality. And I really felt like uh, embracing that helped me to be able to just enjoy that. Instead of feeling like, okay, I'm a nerd. That's not a good thing nowadays. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm cool with being a nerd. I enjoy what I do. And so I think that really helps sometimes when you get a clear understanding of just how God's put you together. Yeah, that's really good. So literally from high school, you went to school, went straight into uh, college, and then went in straight into get your doctorates? I did. I, four years, four years in the three years of residency, I um, graduated with my MD degree at 28 and just went straight through. Um, loved every minute of it. The research part had always been a part of me. Uh, I did my first, my very first research experiment was in high school. I applied at the university for a position that I know I had no ability to do. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes doors open even if you're not necessarily qualified. <laughs> and so um, at 16, I got a position at, as a research aide uh, at the university, working alongside the seniors. 
And I knew nothing, but I was just, I was ready to learn. I was passionate about learning and um, willing to get my hands dirty. I mean, literally dirty. It was at a farm where we were um, doing some genetic testing and different things. I will go into the details, so, but, but it's just a very interesting opportunity for a 16 year old. And I really think all of that just solidified my, my love of science. I'm really curious when stepping into that position, I love that you did that because I think so many times people don't realize when just stepping out in faith and just a curiosity, did you feel like that opened some opportunity and doors for you when you did that? Oh, absolutely. I I ended up in a situation where long before I ever got accepted to college and, you know, got actually to work directly with those professors I was an aide, kind of uh, almost kind of at a servant position, um, the lowest part you can be (laughs) be in that area. And I think because I had such a desire to learn, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm the lowly 16-year-old who doesn't even belong to be here. I felt grateful to be in that, just to be in the atmosphere, (laughs) just to be there, to be able to learn and to, to glean whatever I could glean in the situation. So years later, when I'm a you know, junior in college, when they, when they came to me and said, you know, we got this teaching position and we usually give it to grad students, but you know, you've been with us longer than any grad students have, you know, would you like the job? I mean, those kind of doors, you know, that's God. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that. I was just, um, I just told my daughter that she's in college. She's a, uh, technically she's a freshman, but in years she's a sophomore. And uh, I told her, I said, you know, when you're young and I said, the cool thing is, is I said, older people like me, I said, want to help kids like you succeed. And I said, you need to take advantage of that. And I said, you just need to go whatever it is that you're passionate about your career. I said, because they're looking to help people like you, you just need to step out and just do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm saying that to tell our listeners, like, I don't care what age you are, just step out and just do it because somebody out there is willing to probably help you. So, okay. So let's go into sleep. Um, You, at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned that you write on subjects that obviously you have experienced. So, uh, and you talked about burnout. So why don't you give us a little bit about the journey of the career burning out what happened the downside of it and then um what became of it well the career was going really well and i think that's probably was the problem it was i was at a point where i could keep pushing myself and keep kind of grinding out the work kind of like you were saying i'll sleep you know and i'll rest you know when i'm dead i've got stuff to do and i'm (laughs) I'm gonna get it done so that was my mindset for so long and so i spent a lot of time just kind of grinding and you know i have a high achiever kind of mentality i'm always goal oriented always looking at the next thing and i got to a point where where really my life looked very successful on the outside. You know, I had book contracts and I was on TV and on radio and all this stuff, you know, that looks very good, but it didn't feel good to live. You know, I would get home every day from work and all this stuff and I'd be exhausted. Um, I had two kids that I had prayed for. They were both toddlers. They were exhausting me. I had a husband who I loved. He was exhausting me. It's like every, all of my blessings were like compounding on me. 
So the, it, it was as if they no, I could no longer appreciate them because all I could see was the work associated with them. And yeah. I, I got to a place where I just felt like, you know, God, if, if this is as good as it gets, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you there. I, I'm, I'm just curious at what point when you feel like, um, do you realize that everything you achieved, like it just, it doesn't matter. I, I, and I, I, I'm trying to word that like what I'm thinking about that is sometimes I think, especially as high achievers, you constantly feel like you got to push, 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 and you got to achieve more. But at some point you're just like, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Sometimes people think it's the grass is greener on the other side, but as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think like, maybe I don't need to achieve stuff to enjoy life. I just need to learn to enjoy life. Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of the image that I got because when I was, when I was going through that, that stage and that process of kind of really getting to the end of myself, something that continued, I kept seeing this, this everywhere I went and it's something I never had seen before. I would keep seeing these bees. And I thought, you know, one day I was sitting there and just kind of just down on myself and I'm like, what's with all these bees? And I really just felt this sense of that's your life. You're, you're so busy producing and, and all these people are telling you how great you are and how much you're helping them. And, and, you know, and you feel like you're producing goodness that the world's consuming, but at no point do you stop long enough to consume the goodness for yourself. You're not tasting and seeing the goodness for yourself. And that, that was a life-changing moment. That sounds like a Holy Spirit moment to me. Absolutely. And it really just opened my eyes. I thought, that's what I've been doing. I've been so busy trying to produce, produce, produce that at no point was I actually enjoying any of the blessings in my life. That's good. Okay. So let's talk about the sleep epidemic. I'm just kind of curious, what are like statistics or national statistics telling us about uh, people's sleep and health? Now, while the statistics will tell you that about two thirds of the population is sleep deprived to some degree, and, you know, the reality with that is with the sleep deprivation, it ends up affecting not only our health, but just our ability to be at our best. You know, you increase, there's an increase in the number of accidents when you have more sleep deprivation. We've got this whole generation of people who hate their jobs. You know, there's this huge kind of thing out there now about what are, what are ways that I can work from home because I, I, I need to be able to have kind of more time to myself. So we've gotten to this kind of mindset that work is bad and rest is bad. So, so it's like, what, where do you, where is the in-between with that? And I think that's really where, where the, the understanding that for this helped me is that there has to be a healthy work rest ratio where you're, you're having an appropriate amount of activity for work, but you're also mindful that rest is needed that it's not an extra, it's not something you can just add on if you have time, but that it's something we should be very intentional about. Um, because sleep, if you really think about it, most of us have difficulty getting the high quality sleep that we need, that stage three and four non-REM sleep where you really start getting restored. And the reason for that is our bodies stay in this constant tense, kind of stressed out, high cortisol level and then we say at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, okay, flip off like a light switch and get into deep sleep. You know, really that's what rest is supposed to help us with. 
It's supposed to help us make that transition from our busy, active, ongoing daily activities to be able to transition into that high quality sleep that we need. Okay, so let's go to a healthy ratio. You mentioned, I'm curious when you said that. So what do you recommend or what does a healthy ratio look like work versus rest? Well, it really depends on what your lifestyle looks like. Um, One of the big things that I talk about in the book is about the seven types of rest. Uh, Because sometimes when I say rest, people kind of think that rest is, is one big thing that they have to get. But rest is actually divided up into seven different parts. So you have the physical, mental, and spiritual that most of us have heard of and are at least familiar with. And then the four that, that came out in the research that are a little less common or less known are the emotional, spiritual, sensory, and creative. Now, the, the thing is, wherever you're using more energy during your day is the area where you're going to become depleted. So just for an example, if you're a teacher and you're dealing with students and parents and personalities and attitudes and coming up with lesson plans and all of this stuff, Well, physically, you may not be getting exhausted because you're not lifting anything heavy, but emotionally, socially, the social interaction, even creatively, having to create or or teach in a creative way where two completely different students can understand a, a concept. So you're using energy out of those buckets. And if you're not intentional, at the end of the day, you can be socially drained, creatively drained and emotionally drained. And if you don't try to intentionally fill up those and restore those areas that you drained during the day, then sleep's not going to help that. Okay. I want to do this for fun. Can I be your Guinea pig? Yeah. Okay. So let's just take my life and I'm just curious and then how you revamp that. So is there questions you can ask me as far as, so do I need to tell you what I do? That's helpful. There, there, is a, there is an assessment that I use, but the assessment I use is like 50 questions. Yeah, we don't have to. I want to I promote you and your book, but I'm just, for the sake of it, because some people will be able to relate maybe right. to my yeah, life or, or to others. So, um, so in, for an in-depth one, you can do restquiz.com, but we can do kind of a mini version. So start with um, really, what does your day look like? What, when you go to work, where do you spend most of your energy? Uh, most of my energy is probably driving around. Uh, I got to drive. We live in the panhandle, so I got to drive multiple job sites. I check on jobs from 8 to 1030 in the morning. I go in the office. I work for a couple hours. Uh, I do lunch with friends. I'm answering calls all day long, solving problems, fixing people's solutions or asking or uh, answering questions. And then I go back to the office for a couple more hours, do paperwork, and then I'm out checking jobs again or doing meetings with clients or um, people in, in the, um, or just meeting with other people. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things. So let's take, I'm going to just kind of pick a couple of them to talk about specifically. So you mentioned about um, driving. So it sounds like you're in the car a lot driving and commuting to different areas. So one thing with that is whether or not when you get out of the car, if you notice any type of physical changes, let's say, is your neck hurting? Do you have headaches when after driving for long periods? Are your legs swelling at the end of the day? You know, all of those things could be signed of a physical rest deficit if you're noticing that your body 
is um, giving you signs and symptoms that the ergonomics and how you're sitting is causing some distress within your muscles or within your back or your joints. So how do you correct that? Um, it depends on where the area is, but let's say if you're having a lot of neck stiffness, being really intentional about, okay, instead of just kind of pushing through and ignoring it, like most of us tend to do, taking a couple of minutes to do some neck rolls, some stretches, kind of making sure that you take those shoulders out from your ears and pull them back down if you have a tendency to hold your stress in your neck, but just really being mindful of how your body's feeling and undoing some of that muscle tension that you may be holding on to. Um, you talked about working with a lot or talking to a lot of different people, conversations, solving their problems. Now that's a combination that's very similar to the teacher is a combination of social energy that you're using. And then in connection with that creative energy, because creativity is not just, you know, painting pictures or writing music or being an, artist or something. It also includes innovative thoughts and being able to think outside of the box and to come up with new ideas and to solve problems. So when you're doing that, you're having to pull from your creative areas of your brain. And the way that we restore creative rest depends on what kind of awakens awe and inspiration inside of you. So for many people, that's forms of beauty, whether it's natural or man-made. Um, some people get that feeling when they look at the water at the beach. Some people get it in nature when they go for hikes or for walks or standing outside looking at flowers or, or birds or whatever. Some people get it in um, with man-made type beauty, going to museums, looking at beautiful art on their walls. A lot of the studies show that some of the companies that are really kind of focusing on improving creativity instead of having those beige kind of boring walls that you see they're painting them bright orange and they're putting murals on them and they're doing all of this stuff to to create an atmosphere that is conducive to creativity mm -hmm. that's really fascinating I, 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 you just saying that just i totally have one of those epiphany moments so i realize like when i go with my son to hike the canyon or anytime I'm like fishing or I'm outside or anything like I am so peaceful, so restful. I'm going a hundred miles an hour all the time. And when I get out, like my wife always thinks it's funny. Like one of my favorite things to do is fish. And she's like, I can't even picture you just sitting there uh, doing nothing, but it's so restful. Cause I feel like I'm literally just, I'm getting recharged. So and that's, it's interesting. That's I never thought of that. And that's exactly right. You, you nailed it. Rest, really what rest should look like, you know, we tell, we say, oh, I'm going to rest on the weekend. And then we sit on the sofa and watch Netflix for 12 hours you know, and you're still exhausted. No, rest should look like rest restoration. When you leave uh, any type of rest, when you leave it, you should feel better than when you entered it. And that's when you can tell, okay, that was rest for me. And it looks different for every person. I have some, I have, I have some gentlemen that are up in Canada that'll, that'll write me and say, I was out shoveling snow for like an hour and a half and I came in feeling better than I have in like all the whole week. <laughs> What's with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, who likes shoveling snow? No one. But during that hour and a half, they were able to put their brain in autopilot. And so for an hour and a half, they didn't have to think, they didn't have to calculate, they didn't have to, to figure out anything. It was in autopilot and their brain could finally get into kind of a meditative state almost to where it goes to a quiet spot. 
And so rest doesn't always look like you expect. It depends on what type of rest you're actually restoring at the time. Okay, so why don't you tell our audience a little bit? So you hit a little bit about the creative rest. Obviously, I mentioned hiking and stuff like that. What are some other ways? Uh, and obviously, we don't want to give them all out because I want people to go buy your book. But what are some other ways that people get rest to, to restore themselves? Yeah, so we talked about we talked about mental with kind of having some time to clear your mind. Mental can also include if you have a tendency when you lay down at night, you feel like you're, um, all of these thoughts hit your head at the same time. You're thinking about your to-do list for the next day. You're thinking about conversations you had earlier in the day. That's one of the very simple things for mental rest is what we call a, a, a brain dump or mind dump, some people call it. But basically, you're just allowing yourself to take all of that, those ruminating thoughts and all of those things that you're thinking about, and you're putting it on a journal or even just a post-it note. You just want to get it on something concrete out of your mind onto a concrete surface so that you're not having to hold those thoughts all night long and try to remember whatever that is you're thinking about till the next morning. Because when you do that, you're actually telling your mind, I don't want to forget this. Don't let me forget this. So then your mind says, I'm not going to let them forget it. So I'm not going to let them go into deep sleep because then they'll forget it. But if you write it down, then it's like giving the mind permission to let it go so that you can then get into those deeper levels of sleep. That is fascinating. I am going to try that tonight. I never even thought about that. That's one of it's been a struggle. Like my, uh, my daughter, we joke around, like she can fall asleep anywhere. She just car house. She just lays her head down. She's out. The moment I try to do that, I'm thinking about a hundred things that I did or need to do. And it can keep me up and I got to drink like, you know, sleepy time, melatonin tea or something just to get my brain to shut off. Highly creative people that it tends to be a very common a very common issue that they deal with. And the thing is, most of the time when, I, when we, I talk with them about this, what they say is, but I'm in the bed. I don't want to get up and get a piece of paper. Won't that make me where I can't go to sleep? It's like, you're already not sleeping. So, yeah. so we've got to try something different. You're already not sleeping. And so you can, I prefer paper. I've had a couple of people say, well, can I just do a, um, what's it called? A voice memo on my phone and do it that way. You can, but what I'm finding is the, the whole blue light and electronics, we are so kind of hot-wired, um, overly, kind of overly sensitive to our electronics that when you flip it on to do the voicemail, if you see a text message yeah. or you see that little one or three or whatever it is that pops up, you know, on the icon, you're probably going to go into that rather than just flicking it off. And so that's my only concern with using like a voice memo. A posted note doesn't have a, a notification button. So you're, it's much safer. That's good. I'm curious as you've seen people apply these um, and really it's biblical principles. How have you seen like relationships and lives restored? That's been the best part. It, honestly, it's been the most unexpected part of the book. I talk about in Sacred Rest about my own journey with how this changed my marriage, how it, how it improved my marriage and, and just strengthened our relationship. But I didn't go into a lot of detail about 
that part of it. And so, you know, it was surprising when I started getting emails from, from men who would tell me that their wife read the book and they're, they're then telling me how they noticed such a change in her that then they decided to read the book and they're like, what's going on here? And one of the things that I talk about with couples is we're in the social rest aspect of it is how, you know, when we fall in love, we fall in love face to face. We don't fall in love looking at our iPads or looking at the TV or, you know, I'm looking at my monitor, you're looking at yours. And, but when we get married, oftentimes the only times we're face to face is either when we're, we're fighting you know, there's something going on about the bills or the kids and we're having an argument face to face or we're in bed in, a, in kind of a more intimate positions face to face. But we're not actually spending time getting to know each other and to stay connected. And so one of the challenges I have couples do is to spend five minutes every night asking the question, how are you? And refusing to let that person give you one of those I'm fine answers to actually talk through how they're doing that day and to take a moment just to really look into it look into each other's eyes and to start getting reconnected at that deeper level is that there's some real irony when you think about just for you to even say that so think about it we're having to tell married couples to reconnect even though they've been married and that's exactly what they did when obviously to get married and then obviously life happens and we start to stray away from that. And there's so much importance of just coming back every day or consistently in exactly saying what you just said and asking those questions. And it's so simple, but we, you know, we see it just, if you go in any restaurant, it really, it really just breaks my heart. When I go into a restaurant and I see couples, you see older couples and they're talking and they're holding hands and they're sitting side by side and they're so in love. You can still see the love. And I see younger couples and they're both emerged in their cell phones. There's not a word being said across the table. And I just sit here and I think, God, is that, is that going to make it? Is that going to, is that going to make it past the kids and past the the other stuff? Because the kids aren't going to be there forever. You know, for, for the marriage to be there forever, you've got to stay connected to each other. No one wants to wake up to someone that's a roommate. Yeah, I have uh, Casey and I, my wife, we have three teenagers and that's the rule at the table. I said, if I see your phone, I'm throwing it. I just don't even, I'm <laughs> like, you have them all the time. All I'm asking for is 30 minutes with no electronics. I don't want to see them. I just want to know about your day. I want to communicate. And, uh, and I t- I've literally said that if I see your phone, I'm going to throw it or break it, but I do not want to see it. I think that should be a rule at every dinner table. I recommend some families actually have a, a, um, a phone basket. So when people walk in the door, you know, and you're getting ready for dinner, everybody drop the phone over and put the phone over in the basket. And we're not going to get it till whatever the time frame is that you say in your particular home. Because there, we are really raising a generation. I have two teen boys. Um, and, and when I go to their school, I see that we're raising this generation that no longer understands how to communicate eye to eye. It's like, hi, Miss Smith, with the eyes cast down, you know, um, walking, looking down. I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that whole mentality. This is the next generation of leaders. You can't stand on a stage or lead a boardroom or do any of those things that some of them are going to need to do looking down at your shoes. 
You need to be able to look eye to eye with people and to be comfortable in your own skin. And really that's where, that's what teen life is about being able to get comfortable in kind of who God made you to be. And I think our phones are giving kids an opportunity to kind of hide within that shell for an extended period of time. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up the show a little bit, I want to ask you uh, some personal questions. Uh, One of those being, what do you feel like your biggest strength is in what you do? Uh, Let's see. My biggest strength, I would say, would, would probably having understanding what it feels like to be wounded. And so because of that, I think I have a tendency to be very gentle with how I deal with people. Hmm, that's really good. I'm curious, though, is there an overextension of your strength? And is it a weakness in any way? Uh, well, it is, I believe, because sometimes if you're if I'm not careful, I will allow my boundaries to get kind of extended beyond mm-hmm. what they should be. So um, for a long time, I had to learn really how what it looked like to have healthy personal boundaries, because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, there's there can be a kind of shifting over into some people pleasing. And so there's always kind of this, this judgment call on where am I at in that I want to kind of serve people well, but I don't want to get into a point where that goes beyond the serving and goes into people pleasing. Yeah, that's really hard. And it's extremely hard. And especially the unfortunate part of that is, is you have to have uh, sometimes years or a lot of experiences where you've allowed those boundaries to get crossed and then you get hurt and you get burnt out and realize, uh, I, I better fix this quick or I'm going to be bitter and miserable. Absolutely. And, and particularly in ministry. Yes, I, that's I, what I was thinking. I found that to really be the case because, yeah, we, my husband and I have done Bible studies in our home and, and a lot of different things like that. And and it can. It can get very tricky because uh, sometimes I don't think people realize that their, their words or what they're saying is a little bit manipulative in how they're um, bringing it to you. But you just have to be really comfortable in what your boundaries are and know your heart. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Okay, what do you feel like the biggest thing that God is stirring inside of you right now? And it could even be your book or just anything. Wow, that's a good one. Well, the book came out a couple of years ago. So I, okay. you know, that's something that we've worked through, I think. <laughs> so yes. I think, I think the biggest thing right now stirring in my heart is this whole concept of something that's fairly new to me is this concept of like the seven mountains. Um, yes. Teaching that I'm very familiar with. And so I, I find myself constantly saying, God, what is my mountain? <laughs> it's like, Caleb, give me my mountain, but I don't know what the mountain is. So I think that's the journey that, that I tend to be going with God right now. It's like, help me, help me see what the mountain is to even know what I'm going after. You know, it's interesting that the moment uh, you said that, <clears throat> the first thing that came to my mind was family. That's what I've been thinking. But when I say that, it's like, that seems kind of weird. <laughs> I, I don't know how that relates because I, I look at all of them and I think, well, I know it's not this and I know it's not that, but it's like, I don't know. So I got That's I the gotta, one that tends to come to mind for me as well. So I was sitting with a group of pastors and some friends several years ago. Uh, and uh, at the time I was getting into seven mountain concept and, and purpose and all that stuff. And they were having a conversation and I said, 
Have you ever thought that what we do in the natural is what we're called to do in the spiritual? And they looked at me and they're like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? And I said, for instance, I said, I'm a builder by trade. I love to build and we do a lot of remodels. I said, but I love working in men's ministry and I love helping men uh, remodel their lives. So taking a lot like my life, a broken past and allowing the Lord to restore it and rebuild it to fix it. No different than you would do a house. Mm. And all of a sudden, like light bulbs came off and everyone was like, well, yes, and like this and like that. And I said, exactly. And, and the reason I say that to say is if you think about it in the, in the physical, you're a physician. Mm-hmm. And it, it translates the same into the spiritual. And, it, you know, if you think about this, the one thing that I feel like the, the devil and the enemy attacks more than anything is the family core and the family needs more restoration because I think than, than ever before. And I think when the family's healthy, society is healthy. And the, pro- and the problem is, is so many uh, with obviously uh, increase in divorces and, and kids being who uh, hurt, sorry, in sexual wounds and all the things that people face so bad they need spiritual healing and restoration. That's so good. That, that's great. That's actually a good explanation of the family mountain to me because whenever, because every time I think about them, that's the one that always comes up. But I'm always like, that doesn't really make sense. Are you sure it's not education or, you know, or, or something else? But none of that ever feels right. But that is kind of where my heart's at. That's oftentimes what I talk about in my ministry and within my writing is about the, the healing, the mind, body, spirit healing that has to happen in each of us. Well, I think you found it. I hope you found some clarity, but I think I really do. I feel like uh, that was prophetically speaking over you, and I feel like that's what you're that's, uh, I think you know it. I think maybe you just needed somebody else to tell you it, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit explaining it, so I hope you got it. Awesome. Love that. Um, okay. What is a uh, kind of a, a resource or something, a book or something that's impacted you uh, lately that you like to share? Or we've even had people do like a, a daily hack type thing or a life hack. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Well, a book I've recently read that I really felt was very helpful was one called Sensitive and Strong. It's by um, Sherry Gregory and Denise Johnson. Um, I read the book because they had asked me to write a forward for it. And I refused to write a forward for a book I've never read. And I barely knew these two ladies. So, um, but, but I interviewed on one of their podcasts. And so I read this book. It's about being a highly sensitive person or an HSP. And, you know, I've never really considered myself an HSP, but I do realize that I have a tendency to be very sensitive to things. um, My level of discernment about certain things seems to be very high. And I just loved how they combined the science of that. Because as I said, I'm a natural geek and that's just who I am. So I loved how they combined the science of it with the spiritual concept of being sensitive and discerning and how God can use that as a strength. So I, that, that book really, it kind of opened my eyes up to how God has put me together and kind of gave just more clarity to that. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. It almost seems like he knew what he was doing when he put all this stuff together. 
Imagine that, right? Okay, so last question. Uh, never skip it. If you could go back to the younger you, what age would you pick and what advice would you give yourself knowing you can't change anything in your future, but you're going to give yourself a pep talk? That's an amazing question. I would probably, I have this memory of being five years old and sitting out on my, I was raised by my great grandmother, sitting out on my great grandmother's back porch, um, just really just having it out with God. I didn't know any curse words, but if I knew some, I probably would have been throwing them. (laughs) But, but I was really just having it out with God. Like, how can you take my mother? How can you think that I didn't need um, her in my life any longer and just having it out, having it out. And I'm like, I'm never going to amount to anything because I don't have what all the other kids have. Mm. And I would tell that five-year-old version of myself that, Romans eight twenty eight is true. It may not have been a good situation, but all things do work together for good. Yes, it does. He can, it says uh, he is a father to the fatherless. And I think it's the same thing. He's a, he's also a motherly to the motherless and it just does not matter. He is just, uh, he is amazing how he works things out. He can, uh, what's another scripture? Um, Anyways, he, he, he can take something ugly and make it beautiful. Always. So he is good like that. Okay, um, as we wrap up the show, how do we get a hold of you, find you, get your books, um, contact you to speak at our ministries, things like that? Yeah, one of, well, one of the first things I would definitely recommend is visiting restquiz.com because it's my free assessment to let you be able to determine which of the seven types of rest you actually are deficient in. So I think that's a great way to kind of see why you might be tired if you're waking up in the morning after sleeping. And then my main ministry page is at ichoosemybestlife.com. That's where you can find information about my books and my speaking and all of that. I choose my best life.com. I'm writing it down so we can get a hold of you as well. And I'll get on there. I'm kind of scared to take your test though. Cause I feel like, <laughs> you can't fail it. That's a- <laughs> well, I know I can't fail, but I feel like I'm going to be like four for seven or something. I'm going to be like, Oh crap. How am I going to fix this? <laughs> then I don't have enough other stuff to worry about. So, okay. Uh, Sandra, you get the last word as we part. So what would you like to um, share with our audience? is we call it a night. Oh, well, the one thing I think I would love to share is just the scripture from Isaiah thirty fifteen because that's the one that I feel like has really changed my life. And it says, in returning and rest shall you be saved in quietness and trust shall be your strength, but you would have none of it. I feel like I spent most of my life refusing the gifts God was giving me because I would have none of it. I wanted to do it my way and really his way is always the best way. You know what's fascinating about that? I, and I don't mean to go, I, you just say stuff and it just triggers my mind. I'm sorry, audience, if it bothers you, because I know some people it does. But when you say that, if you think about it, we fight our whole life against God, like thinking as if he's just some taskmaster, like he's wanting us to do something that we don't want to do, right? I mean, at least yes. that's the thought in my mind. But here's what's funny. He's madly in love with us. He literally made us and designed us for a certain purpose. It's never been about him trying to make us do anything. All he's been trying to do the entire time is show us the exact purpose he created us for and trying to line those two together. But we spend our lives trying to fight it as if he's doing something cruel. That's so true. 
And what he, what one thing that he really kind of awakened to me was that I was trying to fight for blessings that would only come through rest. Mm. Man, that just spoke to my like bones and marrow and soul right there. <laughs> I, I don't appreciate that comment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna it's edit. good medicine. It's good medicine. <laughs> Man, that is good medicine. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I love what you're talking about. Uh, my wife is huge on rest and has literally been pounding me with it for 20 years. And uh, I've spent this last year really trying to take time. So um, I say that just to say thank you for taking the time to write that and to share your journey with us and let us all know what we really need. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Hold on just a second. Roar Nation, uh, I hope you guys got all that. I hope you're going to get some more rest. Uh, go on uh, the uh, her website, takerestquiz.com. I encourage you to find out what you need because doing more is not being productive. I think... In, uh, in my opinion, is definitely the more rest you get, the more energized you feel, the actually more productive you're going to be instead of just being busy like most people. So anyways, Roar Nation, please reach out to us. Don't forget to go on our website. You can get all the information, all the links that we talked about tonight. Uh, we have uh, those on the website as well as a uh, three pages of DIY Remodel Your Life to help you uh, kind of find purpose and passion in your life as well. So Roar Nation, thank you guys. We love you. Remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.